At Hope, we believe the church is the hope of the world. This is true in the Triangle and it's true in Haiti. Since 2009, we've been partnering with a group of people in Port-au-Prince called Agape Church. Hurricane Matthew left a lot of loss in Haiti. Loss of property, loss of crops, and loss of lives, but not a loss of hope. Here is an update from Jean Alix, the pastor of Agape Church. We did a good preventative work with all the staff and coaches and the small group leaders. We went house to house, teaching and training the people about what to do when the hurricane came. People that live near Agape that had mudslides or other problems are using our church as a shelter. We helped them however we were able, but in the surrounding areas, the problems will take weeks to solve. Our city is underwater. The damage to hundreds of houses and many churches has been extensive. People have lost their lives and loved ones. Starting tomorrow morning, our team will go register all of the houses and families that were affected by the hurricane and start to help. People at Agape, with family in the country, lost everything, and I mean everything. In Kenskoff and all over Haiti, people lost all of their gardens and animals, which is their only source of income. There have been a lot of crying when people call us, but I told them they are not alone. We are the church, we are the body of Christ, and we are together. They are truly living out our mission to love people where they are. And as a church family, we know that you're wondering, how can we respond? The first way is this, we need to continue to pray. To pray for those who have and are currently suffering from this tragedy. To pray for the church as they are Jesus physically there. And to pray for salvation, both spiritual and physical. The second way is that our Global Hope team has been in constant contact and we will respond if and when needed in the best ways and in the timing that best serves the people there. We believe the church is the hope of the world and we want to be available when needs and opportunities arise. Today we are in the middle of a series called Hope Where You Are. We are here, but we can help. Pastor Mike would like for us as a church as an immediate response to do a special walkout offering today at every campus. We would like to raise at least $100,000 this weekend to immediately help the church in Haiti respond to and help meet the needs that they are facing in their communities. As a church, we believe one of the things God wants us to be is a church that gives generously. Hope has always been known as a church that steps up and meets the needs of people, and today is one of those opportunities. If you're watching online or didn't come prepared for this today, you can go to our website and give online. In your check or that memo line, please write Standing with Haiti. Your campus pastor will give more details at the end of today's service for the offering. We just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for living out the mission that God has called us to. Thank you for praying for the people impacted by this. And finally, thank you for your continued generosity. Well, since we shot that video, there have obviously been some more complications and, and further things that have come from Hurricane Matthew. We have been in contact with Agape Church. They are in some need of some teams coming down. And so we will be sending some people from Hope down to Agape to be a part of the rescue and cleanup efforts down there. And so if you're interested in being a part of that, please simply go to our app or to the website and you can find out more information and sign up there and continue to pray for people now in Florida and up and down the coast that have been impacted and affected by Hurricane Matthew. Now we're in the middle of our series called Hope Where You Are and in this series we've been talking about the fact that 
man is more interested in stuff on the outside, right? In our appearances, in our attributes, in our uh, the gifts that we have, the things that we do, the things that we can bring to the table. But that's not what God is most concerned about. What God is most concerned about is our heart. It's our character. It's our integrity. It's our obedience to him. And what we truly believe and what Mike has been teaching in this series is that when our priorities are lined up with God's, when our values are lined up with God's, that he can take those things and he can use us to be hope right where we are. And that's what we're talking about in this series. Now, I want to tell you, I'm, I'm an introvert by nature, and that may shock some of you. It may sound uh, kind of funny in terms of, of what I do on the weekends, and, uh, but, but I really am. In fact, if Laura is away or if I upset her by things that I, I say in my message, uh, I have the kind of personality that says that I, I want to lock the doors and shut all the blinds, and I don't want to come out for weeks. Now, I've learned to be an extrovert because I, I really do like people, but it's not natural for me. My natural implication are just to be shy. In fact, as a kid growing up, when, when I was at McDonald's back in the day when you had to go up to the counter and ask for ketchup, I would never have ketchup on my French fries unless my extroverted sister was kind enough to share hers with me. She was bold enough to go ask. I wasn't. I would just eat dry French fries as a consequence because I was so shy. Now, I remember in elementary school one day when our teacher sat down and said, we're going to be having a speech contest. And I almost lost it, right? I, I was terrified as this shy kid is this introvert. The last thing I wanted to do was stand up in front of my class and talk about anything. And so I went home and talked to my mom and she, uh, she wrote an incredible speech for me. And, and I remember, uh, I think that might even have been when I gave my life to Jesus because I said, Jesus, if you come back right now, I am all yours, right? If you could just show up before this speech thing has to happen. And I remember the, that day in class and Jesus hadn't shown up and, and this scrawny, freckle-faced, incredibly insecure and terrified kid had to stand in front of his class and give a speech. And I was so relieved when it was done. I, I couldn't wait to sit back down and, and I did and I watched all the rest of the speeches that happened in our class. Now, I also have a very high competitive nature and so when my teacher stood up in front of the class and said, the winner of our speech contest for our class is... Donnie, I was incredibly excited by that part. And when I was done my victory lap, I had to ask her to repeat what it was that she had said next. And what she had said was this, now as a, as a result of winning, Donnie, you will represent our class and give your speech in front of the entire school. And I was like, whoa, whoa, what? No, 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 this isn't happening, right? There is no way I'm going to now stand up in front of a couple hundred people and give this same speech. Well, I didn't have a choice, and, and I did, and I had to, and, and it was terrifying, and it was one of the worst experiences of my life. And the problem is, is that I actually won again. And so now I had to go in front of, of the district of a bunch of different schools and represent my school. And it was one of the most terrifying and worst experiences of my life. That it, it gave me nightmares. Now, as a result of that, I got this little trophy, right? It was this little cup, and on the bottom, it just said oral communication winner. And I remember taking that home, and I had played sports all of my life. I, I played travel hockey and baseball and any other sport that I could play. And so I had all kinds of trophies. In fact, I had so many that at one point my grandfather built me a trophy case that hung in my room. And, and I took that little trophy from that speech contest and I tucked it in the very back corner and forgot all about it. 
Well, several years ago in one of our moves, as we were moving kind of from place to place, uh, I remember I came across this box of all of these trophies. And as I looked at them, I didn't remember where, where they were. I didn't remember what happened. I didn't remember if I had scored a goal or if I'd hit a home run. None of those memories came with those trophies. And I looked at Laura and said, there's no point moving these anymore. I'm just going to get rid of them. And as I was throwing out those trophies, I came across this little trophy, this little cup that said oral communications winner. Now at that point, right, I had been doing student ministry for a long time. I am standing up in front of students and talking to them on a weekly basis, sometimes multiple times during the week. I'm speaking at different camps and different opportunities. And, And I remember seeing that trophy and all of a sudden being reminded, That God can take what I thought was an absolute weakness, what I thought was a liability, what I thought was what brought me insecurities and, and fears and terror at times. And he had now taken it and he was using it as a strength for his purpose. Now, please don't get me wrong. Please don't think I'm not delusional. I don't think that I am the best communicator in the world. I'm not the best communicator at this church or in this room even. I, I totally get that. But here's what I know is that God can take the things that we think make us weak, the things that that we would consider a liability or even a disability for us. And God wants to use those things to bring himself glory and wants to use those things to help us be hope where we are. Now, I have a question for you that that I want to ask you wherever you are and watching this is, how could God use someone like me? Right? That's probably a question that you've asked yourself at times. And maybe it's a question that's rolling through your brain right now. How could God use someone like me? Because the reality is a lot of us are consumed with, with guilt over our sins and our failures. Right? We, we are consumed by our past, the past marriages or past family issues, past mistakes that we have made. Some of us see our physical problems and, and limitations as liabilities or even disabilities. For a lot of us, just accepting ourselves is a difficult thing to do. We have very low self-esteem. We feel very inadequate about our lack of education or our lack of skills or our lack of spiritual gifts. And, and if I'm honest, when I think about myself, the word that comes to mind is, is unimpressive, right? When, when I think about my, my physical body, there's attributes I would love to change. My personalities, there's things that I would love to change. And yet I know that, that even though I feel like I'm underwhelmed, that, that God promises and God over and over and over again shows that he takes the weaknesses in our lives and he can turn them into strengths when we learn to trust and depend on him. I remember this joke of this lady and she walks by a, a pet store, right? And, and there's a parrot in the window and, and he calls out to her and, and he says, hey lady, you're ugly, right? And she's upset by that, but she kind of keeps going. The second day she walks by, same thing happens. She gets more irritated. The third day she walks by, the parrot says the same thing to her. This time she stops. She goes into the store, has a conversation with the owner who then has a conversation with the parrot. The next day she walks by and the parrot looks at her and says, hey lady. And she stops and looks at the parrot and says, yes. And he goes, you know, right? There's, there's times in our lives when people say you're ugly. Many of us have heard people say that you just don't have what it takes to make it in this, in this class or this industry or this sport, whatever it is. You feel inadequate and incapable and inferior to so many others. Your disabilities, your perceived liabilities are the things that you say, God, there is no way that you could ever use me. Well, today we're going to take a look at a story of a guy who, in spite of those disabilities and liabilities, God turned them into abilities that he was able to use to make an absolute difference, to help that person be hope where you are, and to help us today to do the same thing. You see, your responsibility is simply this. It's to respond 
to God's ability. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to uh, Judges chapter 3. And if not, it's going to be up on the side screens or you can follow along and download our app as well. Let me just give you a little bit of background as you're turning to uh, Judges 3. This is uh, another one of the more bizarre stories in the Bible. Last week we talked about a guy that called out some bears and mauled some kids to death. Well, today we're talking about a, a very unknown character. He doesn't get much press. We don't talk about him much. Um, and in fact, the story that we're going to take a look at is, is pretty graphic. And there's a lot of graphic details in there. And, and we're going to talk about some. We're going to skip over some. But we have to understand that the reason they're there is, is very important. There's some purpose to those. But what we're going to see in this story, even though we may read it and go, what does that have to do with our lives? There's a couple of very powerful principles in here that God wants to take, that he wants to use in our lives to help us be hope where we are. So in Judges chapter 3, beginning of verse 12, it says this. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did evil, because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Now, let me just stop here for a second and and talk about this. See, there's a a repeating cycle in the book of Judges. If you read through it, you're going to see this over and over and over again. The nation of Israel keeps stepping into this place of disobedience. They keep trying to do things their way. They think they know what's best. And what happens is that after a period of time, God has to bring some kind of a disaster, someone to overtake them, some kind of situation in their life so that they can be reminded of who God is and how much they need to be dependent on him. But then the final thing is that God then takes that and he turns it to a place of of deliverance. So disobedience leads to disaster, but God uses that disaster to lead to deliverance and to return his people back to him. See, the nation of Israel is repeatedly turning their backs on him. It says right from the beginning, again, the Israelites did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. See, they thought they knew better, that their ways were better. The result was this disaster, and and Moab comes and takes over Israel. And so for 18 years, they are subject to this king. Right, Because they don't recognize that God's plans are the best plans for them, that God's ways are the best ways for them. The city of Palms that it mentions is actually another reference for the, the town of, of Jericho. And the very, which is the very first city that Israel conquered when they went into the promised land. Remember Joshua and the marching and the trumpets and the walls fell down. This shows how far they had fallen in their disobedience. The very first city they had conquered, now they were living in as conquered people. So you see God's goal in all of this, the reason that he allows these disasters sometimes in our lives is because he wants us to learn the lessons that we need to so that we don't have to keep retaking the test. Again, here's Israel and it says, again, they did what was wrong in the eyes of the Lord. But finally, it led to a place of deliverance, right? We're going to see that in in just a minute. That once they learned, once they repented, once they turned back to God, that they recognized that God was the God of second chances and third chances and hundredth chances. That he is a God that wants to constantly extend his grace. And this is very important for us to understand. Judges 3 verse 15 says this. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord and he gave them a deliverer. Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. So let's just stop here for a second because here we see God raising up this deliverer. Their disobedience has led to disaster, but now God is about to deliver the nation of Israel. Now there's a couple of important details here that we need to understand. The first is this, Ehud is left-handed. 
Now, this may seem like a, a very insignificant detail, but in fact, this whole story is built around this detail. You see, the word left-handed literally means restricted in his right hand, which means that there's either one of two things are happening here. Either he is truly left-handed or he has some kind of disability or injury to his right hand that allows him to not use it anymore. Either way, this detail is very, very important because it shows that Ehud is limited, that he has some kind of a liability or some kind of a disability in, 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 in his hand. Now, even the detail of him being a Benjamite is very important because the tribe of Benjamin, literally what that word means is it means son of the right hand. So this is highlighting Ehud's uniqueness in this story. So Israel sends Ehud to Eglon, to Eglon with a, a tribute. Now, this isn't a, a Hunger Games reference in, in any way here. I don't know if he was forced to go or if he volunteered to go, but, but basically what he's doing is he's taking a tax to Eglon, and it was probably some kind of agricultural produce from the land that they had grown, and they're presenting this to their king because he has conquered the nation of Israel. Judges 3, beginning at verse 16, it says this. Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a cubit long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way those who had carried it. But on reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he himself went back to Eglon and said, Your majesty, I have a secret message for you. The king said to his attendants, leave us, and they all left. Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace and said, I have a message from God for you. As the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. So here we have Ehud, right? He, and, he, and he makes this sword and he straps it to his right thigh under his clothes. And then apparently Eglon's security either assumed that he was right-handed and maybe only frisked him on the left-hand side, or, or maybe they just assumed by the way that he looked that he was unimpressive, that, that he was unthreatening, maybe because of a disability or a liability. Either way, they didn't check to see that he had this sword strapped to him. Now, we need to understand a, a cubit is about 18 inches long, so it's approximately the distance kind of from your elbow to the, the tip of your middle finger. And this is important for us to understand because we have to realize how big Eglon really was. In fact, it describes him in this passage as being a very fat man. Now, that may sound cruel and unnecessary. It's definitely not politically correct in, in our culture. But this is to help point out that, e, that Eglon... He was suffering from, from laziness, right? That his greed had taken over. In fact, it points out to us how good Moab had it and in contrast, how difficult it was for the nation of Israel as captives in his land. But this is also very, very symbolic, right? Because it appears that Ehud is the one delivering the sacrifice, right? He's bringing the tribute. He's bringing the tax to Eglon. But the reality is, is that Eglon, whose, cat, whose word literally means, his name, sorry, literally means calf or bull, is about to become the fatted calf. He is actually about to become the sacrifice in this story. In verse 20, the Hebrew word that's translated message literally can mean one of two things. Either it can mean the word word or it can mean thing. So this serves as a double entendre, right, for both the, a verbal message that, that Ehud is bringing, but also for the dagger. That's the message that he is bringing to Eglon. 
So Ehud isn't being deceptive completely in this when he says, I have a message for you. I guess you could say that, that Eglon probably got the point, right? And so here we see in Judges 3, verse 22, it says this, that even the handle sank in after the blade and his bowels discharged. Ehud did not pull the sword out and the fat closed in over it. Then Ehud went out to the porch. He shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. After he had gone, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked. They said he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the palace. They waited to the point of embarrassment. But when he did not open the doors of the room, they took a key and unlocked them. There they saw their Lord fallen to the floor, dead. Now, this seems like over the top with details, right? And we're not going to spend a lot of time unpacking all of these, but, but you do need to know that these very detailed descriptions are here for a very specific purpose. As Ehud penetrates Eglon with his knife, it says it literally went all the way in and, and the fat covered over it and his bowels were, were discharged. This is all symbolic language that represented what it meant to make a sacrifice. The author also seems to go into a, a lot of satire here and, and uses a lot of, of bathroom humor as he begins to unpack this story. You see, Ehud, after stabbing Eglon, he locks the bathroom doors while he makes his escape. Eglon's servants now are caught in this, this incredibly awkward place, right? They're waiting for their king who's now sitting on his, his other throne, right? I'm sure at this point they're starting to smell the smells of the bathroom because his bowels had been discharged from the stabbing. And in fact, it says in verse 25 that they waited to the point of embarrassment. Now, I don't know if they're asking each other, did, did you see, did he take the sports section in with him from the newspaper? Like, what's going on here? And ladies, for those of you that your husband spends a lot of time in the bathroom, now you know that it's, it's simply biblical, right? It's just what we do. But until it gets to this place where the awkwardness finally gets to a point where they feel like they've got to respond, that they've got to act. And so they get a key, they unlock the door, and what they discover is that their king is dead. But in the meantime, Ehud had just the right amount of time he needed to make his escape. Verse 26 says this, while they waited, Ehud got away. He passed by the stone images and escaped to Sarah. When he arrived there, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim and the Israelites went down with him from the hills with him leading them. Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab, your enemy, into your hands. So they followed him down and took possession of the fords of the Jordan that led to Moab. They allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong. Not one escaped. That day, Moab was made subject to Israel, and the land had peace for 80 years. See, here's Ehud, and he leads his people. He leads his armies to annihilate about 10,000 of God's enemies, the Moabites. Now, consequently, God grants Israel peace for 80 years as a result. Do you see the deliverance that happens here? See, the author of Judges, he, what he does is he portrays Ehud as a, as a hero, right? That, that our courageous lefty does all lefties proud in this. And, and, and even though there was no one else in Israel who was willing to fight God's enemy, Ehud steps up in, in a very significant and big way. So the question becomes this, well, what gave Ehud the, the courage, the, the boldness to step up and do this? And maybe there's a, a hint for us in, in verse 19 and, and in verse 26. Maybe up until this point, Ehud has been worshiping idols just like the rest of Israel. We don't know. It doesn't give us those details. But I imagine that somewhere in there, he decides and he says, I'm turning my back on idolatry 
and I'm trusting God with everything that I have. See, if the Jews had been asked to to vote on a leader, probably Ehud would have lost out on on the first ballot, although he's probably better than the the choice that we have to make in in just over a month. But, But here's what we see in this story, that he was actually God's choice, that God used him to set a nation free. Ehud turned a disability into a possibility because he depended on God. See, here's the point that I see from this story. Your greatest weakness is God's greatest opportunity when it causes us to depend on God. The thing that you see as a weakness, as a liability, as a disability in your life can actually be the greatest opportunity, the greatest thing that God can use as a strength only when we trust and we depend completely on Him. So what do we do with this? Let me give you two things. Here's the first. The first is this. God is the God of another chance. See, we have to understand in this that that God is the God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and 500th chances. The the good news is is for us is, is this because usually we blow it very quickly on our second chance and our third chance and fourth chance. See, one of the greatest things that we need to understand about the character of God is his incredible patience with us. When we are disobedient to God's ways, when we are disobedient to his plans, when we decide that we know what's best, that we're going to live things our way, that that we're going to do what's most important for us, right? That, That we have to understand that there's consequences to that. Not because God is some kind of nosy neighbor or or jealous coworker that's just watching and waiting for an opportunity to bust us, but because he cares for us, because God absolutely wants what's best for us. And so he is willing to discipline us like a, a loving parent is willing to do because he wants us to understand. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to have the best life possible. And that's only found in a relationship with him. See, God's desire is always to restore his people. He wants us to turn to him with repentant hearts. And when we do, he will graciously and lovingly restore us. In fact, it says this in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So if you're here today or or at any of our campuses that are watching, and if you're wondering, is, is it too late for me? Right? Will God really give me another chance, especially, Donnie, if, if he knew my past, if he knows what, what I've done before, if he knew what I even did just this past weekend, if God knows my brokenness, if God really knows the fact that, that I don't deserve this, is God really going to give me another chance? And my answer for you is this, it's absolutely yes. You see, God loves you and he wants you to know that he paid the price for you through his son, Jesus. And that through Jesus' death and resurrection, that we have been set free from all of our past sins, from all of our mistakes, from all of those things that we may feel keep us from being in a relationship with God or being used by God. And God says, I want you to be reunited with me. I want to deliver you from your disobedience. So that's the first thing, is that God is the God of of another chance. And wherever you are today, I, I pray that today may be that day where you say, God, I I want that other chance with you. I'm tired of trying to do this on my own. I want to come back. I need to have a restored, renewed relationship with me. Will you please forgive me of my sin? Here's the second thing. The second thing is this, is that your liabilities and your disabilities are actually abilities 
that God can use. This is so important for us to understand. You see, Ehud could have been devastated by his disability. And I I want you to hear, please hear me on this. I am not making light of anyone's disability out there by simply comparing it to someone who who was maybe just left-handed. But we have to understand for Ehud in, in his culture and in this context, this was absolutely seen as a disability and a liability. He easily could have talked to God and said, God, why, why am I left-handed in a world of, of right-handers? Why, why am I so different? There's no way that you could possibly use me. You see, many of us are, are defeated by, by things that are, are, are no more significant than simply being left-handed. We let those fears, we let those insecurities, we let our past limit us. But if we don't accept our limitations, they can keep us from being usable in the hands of God. See, when we learn to accept ourselves, when we learn to accept our weaknesses and our limitations, then God can use those things in our lives. He can use us to be hope where we are. And that's exactly what he did with Ehud. You see, Ehud had physical limitations, but he was willing to use those things to carry out the work of God. And throughout scripture, we see these stories happen time and time again. Moses, right, who was, who was slow in speech. Jonah, who tried to run away from God's calling. We see it in the life of Samson, who was easily distracted by women and other things in his life. David, who committed adultery and murder. Elijah struggled with depression. Peter denied Jesus three times. Martha was worried about everything in her life. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than one time. Paul imprisoned and killed Christians, right? All of these stories of people who were flawed, who had weaknesses, who had liabilities and disabilities. But here's the truth. Your greatest weakness is God's greatest opportunity when we learn to depend on him. You see, for some of you, you believe that your liability disqualifies you from being used by God. That your past mistakes or your your current temptations, right? That the result of your failed marriage or your broken family, a failed business or a failed career, your lack of education, your your low or lack of self-esteem, your lack of financial resources, you see those as things that God can't possibly use me because I struggle with those. For some of you, you see your disability as something that would keep God from ever using you. Your fears, your past hurts, your physical limitations, your mental illnesses, whatever that is. And I need you to know this today. God doesn't expect you to be perfect. That's not what God needs for him to use us and do incredible things. In fact, your responsibility is simply to respond to God's ability in your life. See, it isn't about what you can or can't do. It isn't about what you have or don't have to offer. It's simply about responding to God, about trusting him that he has the ability to do far more than you could ever ask or imagine in your life. Second Corinthians chapter 12 says this, But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So you need to stop waiting for what you want and start working with what you have. In Zechariah 4.10, there's a warning against despising that day of of small beginnings. See, we need to simply start with where you are and be faithful with what it is that God has placed in your hand and what it is that God has placed in your heart. 
Don't fall into the trap of, of sitting idly and waiting for that one big break, that day when, when whatever it is that you're hoping for will happen. See, so many people say, I, I can't because I don't, that we can't because we don't. But a person that, that is, is in faith and trusting and depending on God says that I can because I don't. I recognize that I don't have all of the gifts, that I don't have all of the strengths. I recognize that I'm not perfect. I recognize there are all kinds of flaws in my life. But because I trust God, those are the very things that God may use in my life, that he may turn those weaknesses into strengths to build his kingdom and to bring glory to himself. See, for some of us, we say, I'm not a good upfront person, so there's no way that I could be used by God in any kind of way. In fact, though, it was Jesus that said that behind the scenes people are, are more important. Jesus said that the, the servant is the greatest of all. So stop wanting something else and just accept the, the assignment that maybe God has called you to. There may be someone in here, a, a man that's saying, I, I'm just not a good provider. I don't have a six-figure income. I, I wish I did. But maybe what God is saying to you is that you don't need a six-figure income. In fact, what you offer is that you're home six nights a week with your children, and that's far more important than what you could possibly make at your job. See, stop waiting for what you want and start working with what you have. I know there's some guys in here that, that say, man, it, it, the most important thing is, is, is how much I make, right? The most important thing is, is my success at work. But, but I think God looks at us and says, you know what? The most important thing that we can do is actually, it's not what you make, it's, it's who you raise. It's, it's what you do. That's where your success is, is being a great man at home. I know for some of you, you're saying, I, I don't make enough money to attract a good wife. I don't have the kind of car or the kind of clothes, right? It's simply all you're looking for is a woman that loves Jesus. And then you serve her the way that God served the church. You love her in that way. And in that, you're going to find the, the happiest woman and you're going to have an incredibly blessed life. You see, your liability, your perceived disability, when you learn and trust and depend on God is the very thing that God wants to and can use to use you to make an impact and a difference in someone else's life. See, God is bigger than everything you believe limits you. And so when we learn to depend on God and to trust Him, to offer Him whatever it is that we have, flaws and all, any ability, including our disabilities, in God's hand becomes the possibility of greatness. You see, your greatest weakness is God's greatest opportunity to use you, to be hope where you are when we learn to trust and depend on Him. Imagine what this could look like in, in, in your home. Imagine what this could look like in our community if we began to live this way. And to say, God, instead of, instead of me trying to hide these weaknesses, instead of me trying to hide these liabilities, instead of me trying to cover up the things that have happened in my past, is it really possible that you could take these things and that you could use them and that you could use me to be hope right where I am? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your incredible grace, for your incredible love in our lives. Now, Father, none of us are perfect. We all fall short. We all have things in our lives that, that we believe keep us from being used by you. But God, I pray that this story of, of Ehud reminds us and shows us and gives us the confidence that when we depend on you, that what we think is our greatest weakness is something that you can use to be an incredible strength in our lives. And so God, we ask that you will do that. For each of us right now, there are things that are rolling through our heads, through our minds of, of ways in which we know that we don't think we measure up. 
God, will you promise that, that if we offer those things to you, will you take those things? Will you use those things in our lives? And God, will you help us to make a difference, to make an impact in the life of someone else? Help us to reach the triangle and change the world by using our weaknesses as strengths to build your kingdom. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, this weekend is uh, another historic weekend in the amazing story of Hope Community Church. In fact, a chapter is closing so that a new one can begin. And this chapter is actually one of the biggest steps of faith that we have ever taken as a church. On September 27, 2009, we sent 350 people from our only campus in Raleigh, and we became a church of multiple campuses. 350 people who went out to reach the people of Holly Springs and those surrounding communities, to reach their family and friends, their neighbors, their co-workers, and to invite them into a relationship with Jesus Christ and to invite them to be a part of a church that loves people where they are and encourages them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. It was the beginning of us stepping out to reach the triangle. Today is the last weekend of that campus meeting in Holly Springs and meeting at Holly Springs High School. Next weekend, they're going to meet for the very first time in their new home in Apex. That weekend is going to be a weekend where they get to work out the kinks and try things out and then open publicly to the community on October 23rd. And it is going to be an incredible celebration and an incredible opportunity for us to be hope where we are. We're so thankful for a few things. One, we're thankful to God that this campus has grown every single year from the 350 people that went out to the nearly 2,000 that meet there now every single weekend. And we recognize it's far more than just numbers. We know, though, that those numbers, that each one of those has a name and each one of those has a story, a story of people who have been changed by God and who are being used by God to reach the people in the towns and the communities that they live in. We're also so thankful for those pioneers that went out, the ones that were willing to step out in faith and to step out of comfort, to be a part of set up and tear down teams every single week, to watch messages on video. We had never done that before, to reach people in those communities. And we are also very, very thankful and grateful for each of you because of your prayers, because of your generosity to Unleashed, that this new campus has the opportunity to reach so many new people in the apex and surrounding areas. And so we want you to check out the loop right now and find out more details of what's coming up in the next couple weeks with our brand new apex campus. Details about the official opening of our brand new apex campus right now in this special Unleashed edition of the loop. Two years ago, we kicked off the Unleashed Initiative, committing ourselves to giving sacrificially to reach the triangle and change the world. Part of the Unleashed Initiative has been the dream of creating a new campus in Apex, one of the fastest growing communities in the triangle. Our vision was to create a destination that would serve as a center for building new community and reaching thousands of people with the power of the gospel. Thanks to your generosity, that vision has now become a reality. Here at Hope, we're excited about the power of a changed life and how that one life can make a difference. Over the next two weekends, we're gonna be celebrating the launch of our new Apex campus. Next Saturday, October 15th, you're invited to come and check out the new campus at an open house from 2 to 6 p.m. Bring your family and friends for a tour of the new building and to meet the Apex campus staff. Our grand opening will be the following Sunday, October 23rd. Visit gethope.net for all of the details of this extraordinary event. 
What an amazing opportunity to be a part of the mission of hope. To find out how you can become a part of Unleashed, download the Hope app or head over to gethope.net today.